0: But this morning I want us to pause for a moment while we're thinking about Revelation and to meditate or to maybe close your eyes and think, try not to fall asleep. But to close your eyes and to visualize an older man out there on a Remote island at this time. There's no ships only come there to deliver more prisoners. Nobody ever gets off. He has spent a life in dedication to his Lord and Savior. And now he is alone on this island. And Jesus is speaking to him directly. Think of sitting out there. Tradition has it that there is a cave marked where he wrote the book of Revelation. Sitting in the front of that cave, there's a wonderful view out over the island and over the ocean. My own mind can picture him sitting there and speaking with Jesus as if two friends, two old friends, And Jesus is giving him information and saying, send this out to the people. Let them know I'm still here. So as we look at this this morning and these messages that we can go through for the seven churches. As we look at it, we know there's one way of looking at it and that we're doing in the afternoon. That's prophetically. We're using these churches to show that God is leading. That revelation is not a book of doom and disaster. Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ and his leading in the world today. So I want us to take a look at the churches from a different angle. Today we'll look at the church of Ephesus. I think all of these churches have meaning to us both today and in biblical prophecy. But today, from the sermon today, I will focus on the meaning they can bring to us today. This message that is brought to individual churches. I think each church has meaning and use today. Each church, the message has meaning and usage to each individuals as we grow in the church. And as we continue our lives. So today I want us to look at the church's Ephesus and to re examine this message. To emphasize this point, I want to look again at Revelation 1 in verse 19, where we see that John is told by God to write. Not about things that are to come, yes, that's part of it, but also to write about things which are here and now. And so while we have a correct prophetic interpretation of the meaning of these churches, today we will focus on the message to us today. When we look at the messages that were written, it says, to the angel. The interesting part of this is in the original Greek, angel means messenger. It does not mean the image of the winged, foreign, supernatural creature that we are used to. But it means messenger. So when John is talking, he's speaking actually to the messenger or the pastor of the church at Ephesus. So these letters are written not only in a prophetic sense, but on a personal sense also. They are meant to be pastoral messages. And as such, with most pastoral messages, they are twofold. The first part is a commendation and encouragement. And the second part, on the other hand, rebukes, rebukes, And calls to repentance and pronounces warnings on judgments. The other thing that we notice about this is that we see one who walks in their midst. Within those seven candlesticks, which represent the seven churches, we see the one who walks in the midst. And who is this? When we look back at Revelation, verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 13, we see this is the Son of Man. He does not look down from above and say, oh, this is the churches. This is what you need to do. Christ is here today as he was then in amongst the churches. We do not see Christ letting the church flounder and lose its way. He wants to be here and among us. The greatest courage we can take, friends, is that no matter what ups and downs we face today, we have Jesus Christ in amongst us. Do you have this assurance this morning or do you face life's burdens and obstacles with no sense of help? We have this hope. And this hope is in revelation. Too many see this book as a book of doom and gloom. But here it is showing that Jesus is with us, with the churches. We can obtain this assurance and know he is with us right here, right today. The letter to the church at Ephesus starts off with a positive note. And Jesus is saying, I know all about you, your fervent and untiring work in the face of wickedness and apostasy and false apostles. Doesn't sound much like today, does it? Turn with me for a moment to Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, we talk about Paul's journey to Ephesus. And in short, Christianity was not a welcomed faith in Ephesus because it flew in the face of state religion. And it threatened the local economy. Sometimes we even see that today. Nevertheless, we read in verses 17 to 20 that the Ephesian church won many converts to the Lord Jesus Christ in spite of fierce and sometimes violent opposition. Sometimes we see that same thing being carried out today in a corrupt and apostate world. Do we stand boldly, for Jesus in the face of opposition or persecution? Or do we feel overwhelmed today by the obstacles in our paths? The Ephesian church teaches us there is no excuse for inactivity. No matter what the reason for our apathy, there is no reason for it that can be justified. Failing to reach out to a lost and forgotten world and to impart to them the news of the salvation of Jesus Christ is what we are meant to do. To his church, Jesus has given the promise, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. He is saying here, we can look at the precipice, we can even see the gates of hell, but they will not prevail prevail against us. Do you believe this? The church in Ephesus believed it, and they did something with it. And as a result, in spite of the wickedness, in spite of the pagan onslaught around them, the church flourished. This church here today can flourish also. The church at Ephesus was also condemned because they not only resisted, or commended, because they not only resisted wicked influences from without, but they also resisted them within, firmly standing against corrupt influences that were trying to encroach upon the church. We see reference here to the Nicolaitans. They were a sect of Christianity that practiced what is known today as Gnosticism, the belief that the body is evil, That the spirit is good. And so they got to the belief that whatever the body did was of no consequence. And so their morality allowed them to do anything. Because the spirit within them was good, the body could do whatever it needed to. And so we see this church standing up against this, against these corrupt and false teaching and standing pure. And yet, even against this purity, we still see this deep and spiritual commitment somehow with this new church falling apart. The Ephesian church is on dangerous grounds. And we read these words starting in verse 4. What was the problem in Ephesus? They had lost their first love. And notice in, five, in verse 5 the danger that it brought. There was a danger that God would remove the candlestick from its place. That is, their salvation would be compromised and lost. Make no mistake about it, it does not matter what you are doing. If you are bringing people to church, if you are rejecting false doctrine, if you do not have the love of Jesus in your heart, it doesn't mean anything do you understand that church you can be the best person here at church and lose your faith in jesus we have to remember that doctrinal truth and evangelistic fervor does not save you let's be careful on this and what i'm saying i'm not saying that we don't want that we absolutely need that in our churches today But it's not what saves us. What saves us is Jesus Christ and Him only. That's it. There's nothing else. When Jesus comes into our lives, we will have that evangelistic fervor. And we will have that works that show out. But it's only because Jesus is in us. Doing it of ourselves, no matter how zealously, no matter how much it's embraced by us, Is woefully inadequate. Coming back to this theme of that lost of the lost of the first love, in just a moment, let's take another step at what can be done to regain that first love. The first step is to remember from where you have fallen, to remember the love experience at the beginning of your walk with Jesus Christ. I read somewhere recently that hate is not the opposite of love. Apathy is the opposite of love. Apathy is uncaring. Because uncaring shows that you can do the work, but you don't care about who's leading the work. This happened to the church at Ephesus. It's not that they have come to hate God. In fact, their lip service will show that they love God. It's quite the opposite. They're as fervent as ever in the zeal for Christ. The problem is that it's born out of habit. Too many times within the Adventist church, our service is born out of culture and habit and not out of love for Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. We notice this same thing happening over and over when we read in Isaiah 29, verse 13. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is based merely on human rules that they have been taught. Too many times we substitute actions for an open and honest heart. Asking a question today. Did you bring your heart to church today? Did you leave it at home on the dresser? How many of you don't remember where you left it? Did you lose it a long time ago? You know, it's sad for many of us to come to church. We sing the songs. We pray the prayers. Our mouths form the words. We participate in Sabbath school. But there is a lacking emotional connection. What's worse is that oftentimes we become so afraid of this emotional connection because of the dangers of fanaticism that we absolutely forbid any emotional expression at all. Therein lies the subtle yet severe danger of habit. You can do all the right things, you can say all the right words, but have no connection to the heart whatsoever. And once the heart is disengaged, the spiritual life dies. And so we have this call from the prophetic and pastoral letter to Ephesus and to us. And essentially it says this. Stop taking your relationship with God for granted. Stop just going through the motions. You need to remember your heart from the dresser and bring it with you. The second part of this message is to repent. And to repent means that we recognize the wrongs that we have committed and to change our ways in that recognition. In other words, God just doesn't want us to say, I've put my spiritual life on cruise control. I can go to church. I can do the things I need to do. That's all that's needed. He wants all of us, all the time. He wants complete control of our relationship with Him. Don't just think that I have a relationship with Him. You have to physically talk and be with Him. Re-engage the heart and call on God to give back the meaning of the religious experience. To replace the mundane with the amazing, to replace the routine with the awe-inspiring. This is a prayer God will never, ever turn down. And the longer you wait to pray that prayer, the more disengaged you will become, and the harder it will be to turn back. And this brings us to the third step, returning to the first works. Notice here that we specify the works after the repentance, and turning back to God. The works never come first. They never earn salvation. They are because we are saved, not to do something so that we will be saved. This is a call to action. It's true, there are dangers in allowing our emotional lives to have free reign in our spiritual lives. It can and does, in some cases, lead to a complete Disregard for consistent Christian experience. God in his wisdom knows that sometimes humans can momentarily emit emotional responses that are a substitute for commitment. And so he calls on us to make the lasting commitment. That renewed commitment each daily. God doesn't want us falling back into a state of apathy. He doesn't want us to yo-yo in our Christian walk, from emotional fanaticism to apathetic lip service. Instead, he wants the life of balance and consistency. And so it is clear that in order to regain our lost love, we must first remember the love experience we had with Jesus and to recognize when we are going through the motions with no emotional connection. Then we must call out to God to re-engage our hearts, to re-establish meaning in our religious experience, and then to renew that meaning on a daily basis. That's how we get it back. But there is still the question of how we lost it in the first place. How did we get into that state of apathy? I found an illustration while working on this that I think does this very well. Picture, if you will, a car driving back from a fancy restaurant. A couple who has been married for 25 years is just returning from an anniversary dinner at a very fine restaurant. The wife is sitting over against the door on one side. The husband is over behind the wheel. And the wife turns to the husband and begins to lament. Oh, honey, I remember when we were so close. I mean, I remember when we first got married. We sat so close that it was hard to shift the gears. And look at us now. The husband responded with a shrug. I haven't moved. But isn't that our relationship with Jesus Christ? We say, Lord, I remember when we used to be really close. And Jesus says, I never moved. We say, I remember when you were on speaking terms with me. And Jesus says, I never moved. We say, I remember when we used to walk in very private moments and you meant something so special to me. And Jesus says, I never moved. I never went anywhere. I never left when you chose to distance yourself from me. You are still important to me. So what happened? Somewhere along the way, we forgot he was there. And I propose this this morning, that losing our first love has nothing to do with forgetting how much we love God. I propose this morning it's instead forgetting how much we have forgotten how much God loves us. Somewhere between cradle roll And the adult Sabbath school, we lose sight of the simplicity of God's love for us. Somewhere along the way, we lose our love, our first love, not because we forgot to love God, but because we simply forget the message. Jesus loves me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I don't know what brought you here this morning. I don't know the condition of your heart. Or even if you have it with you. Or if it's even engaged. But I do know this, that you can leave here today restored. Do you want that?